Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Well, welcome to City of Life Church Summer Playlist Series. If this is your first time here, you're joining us in the middle of a series. We don't typically have love songs in church just, you know, every week. But our team is so fantastic, and part of our vision here at City of Life Church is to transform culture through creativity. And I'm grateful. God has given us a creative church. We have a creative team. We have a creative worship, creative production, creativity in our city kids to teach our children about Jesus. We can use creativity for Jesus in any sphere. And so throughout this summer series, we're looking at different songs that are popular and looking at the message they send and contrasting that with the word and what God has to say about that message. So that's what we're gonna do today. If you haven't picked up on the vibe, today we're talking about relationships. And I don't know about you, but I wanna have healthier relationships in my life. So is there anybody here who wants to have healthier relations? Oh, Loritz's hand was first up, I love it. I love it. We all want to have healthier relationships. So we're going to see what God has to say about that. I'm Pastor Amanda. I serve as an associate pastor here along with my husband. And I'm so privileged to be able to talk about this topic with you. Because if you've noticed, it feels like lately there is more and more and more blatant brokenness in relationships. We see more evidence of it, more things are coming to light. Some things that used to be taboo or unacceptable now are very casual and normalized in our culture. We have to talk about brokenness in relationships in church, and I'm thankful that the word has clarity for us. No matter how broken the relationship feels or how desperate and empty we feel in relationships, God has something to speak to us about that. But the world around us, it feels like it's getting crazy in some ways. And I made a little list of some observations, and I'm wondering if you can see some things that I've been seeing. All around us, I'm seeing spouses break their vows to one another. I'm seeing children dishonor parents. I'm seeing parents abandon their role as spiritual authority over their children. I see leaders betraying followers, sibling rivalries, Sometimes they lead to death or embezzlement, lots of frustration. I see friends misunderstand one another and walk away from one another. I see mentorees doubting or betraying their mentors and leaders. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Have you seen some of this around you? Okay, wild how it feels like that describes the world right now that we're living in, and yet, I created that list after reading about relationships in the Bible. Every single frustrating dynamic with relationships that we live with today, God has something to say about it. So I'm so grateful that his word is instant in and out of season, that God always has something for us right where we're at, right when we need it. The Bible is full of dysfunctional relationships, and honestly, I'm glad. because it makes me feel a little less lonely in that. We all have dysfunction in our relationships. 
If you were here earlier this year, Pastor Janice taught, who put the fun in dysfunction? And it's, it's so great because we all have lived in it. We've all participated in it. And to some degree, we've all perpetuated it. And if we want to have healthier relationships, we have to acknowledge the dysfunction and do something to break out of it. So we can look to the word for example after example of people just like you and just like me who have hurt others, walked away from God, given up, and we can learn from their lives what we can apply to our own. And as a church, we gather together to learn spiritual principles in community. That's actually one of my favorite things about church is we can all just get real and acknowledge we all have some growing to do. We all have some faults and failures. And the faults and failures are often swept under the rug. But what I appreciate is that we can be real today because they're part of our reality. They're part of our life. And when we acknowledge them, we can make a plan to do something about them. The word also has so much to say about our mental health, our emotional health, and our relational health, not just spiritual principles. Because God created us body, soul, and spirit. He gives us wisdom for all of those areas of our life. And so today, as we kick off this talk about relationships, we're going to start with the source himself, and that's Jesus. Our text verse today is found in John 15, and I'd love you to write that down so that you can reflect on it this week. But John 15, verses 9 through 17 say this. If you abide in me, this is Jesus talking, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So today, inspired by this song, the title of this message is What Will I Do? What will I do? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to look into your word together as a church family. I thank you, Lord, that you care about every single element of our life, of our heart, of our thoughts. You care. And that, Jesus, you constantly extend an invitation of love and connection to us. No matter how far we try to stray, no matter how long we've been disconnected, you continually offer that love and safety. We're grateful for that. Lord, let this word transform us today so that we can be refined to look more like you, to relate to others more like you, so that we can fulfill this word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As a pastor on team here and as a pastoral counselor, I'm so privileged to be able to walk alongside you I can't just say people because it's you, my church family, and so many others in both the high points and the low points in life. And I say that it's a privilege because there are things that people will 
communicate to a pastor that they might not communicate elsewhere. I remember one time my husband received a thank you card from someone and they said, thank you for being there in my best days as you officiated my child's wedding ceremony. And thank you for being there in my most challenging day as you officiated my parents' burial service. It's truly a privilege to walk alongside each other as family, especially if we come from broken families, like Pastor Franco talked so much about last week. There's something unique and beautiful and purposeful for you being in this room and for you being online today as part of the City of Life family. There's something so special about that. But I find when people are talking to me about relationships, there are some common themes. Some common themes of what do I do to fix this pain point? Like, give me the steps, give me the solution, give me the blog post. And if I'm being honest, we all want like that quick fix, like that drive through, like let me just order what I need to order so I can get on with my life. We don't want like the long fix, the years in the making fix. We want to feel better now. I often find we want to get wisdom so that we can tell somebody else what to do. Pastor, tell my spouse that they need to, you know, fill in the blank. Or how do I get my kid to actually honor me? Because if that's in the Bible, they need to honor me. We want to control or fix or manipulate or change everyone around us so that our life is easier. And in that moment, if we're approaching it with that mentality, it's so easy to do the finger pointing. Well, if they would fix this and if they would address that, because that's way more comfortable than admitting, what have I contributed to this relationship? What part does my trauma play into this scenario? What unhealed or unsurrendered things in me is contributing to this issue? That's a much more uncomfortable question. So we try to avoid that one at all costs. One of my favorites is, what if my Latin family or my Caribbean family or my Italian family doesn't honor my boundaries? My family doesn't know boundaries. What does that word mean? It's easy to blame it on other people. And when I say people, obviously I'm including myself, you guys. I'm not perfect in this department or any other. And we all want to feel better. We all want our relationships to be easy, to come naturally, to be fulfilling. We all want to be loved, right? Am I in the right room? Yeah, we all want to be loved. I think, theologically, that's because when we look in Genesis, we were created by love himself. Love breathed his life into us for the sake of connecting with us. So no wonder we crave love. We were created in love and we were created for love. So why is it so hard? Why is it so challenging to have healthy relationships? If you're like me, I really like having a checklist so I know, okay, I do this, I do this, I do this, perfection achieved. Whether or not I admit it, almost always perfection is the goal I'm going for, and the Lord's working on me about that. I call myself a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> but what I really appreciate about this passage that we just read in John 15 is that Jesus literally gives us a step-by-step -step 
formula for how to have healthy relationships. It's not the drive-through version that we all want. It's not the quick, easy, one-time prayer, one-time conversation. But it is a step-by-step guide nonetheless. He doesn't leave us hanging. He clearly lays it out. So I'm going to reread the text today. And I want you to think about it in the context of healthy relationships. John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I'm going to pause there because a lot of us don't use that word abide. (laughs) Thank you. Someone's like, yes, define that for me. So the dictionary defines abide as to endure without yielding, accept without objection, and to remain stable. Or in the Greek, as it's originally written in the New Testament, it says to continue to be present both in time and space. So Jesus is inviting us, if you abide in him, if you are firmly planted and stable, unyielding in him, and his words are firmly rooted in you, you know what he says. You are present with him both in time and place, then you will abide in his love. Ask for whatever you wish, it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to others that you are my disciples. Verse 9, here's the formula. Jesus is saying, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He gives us the formula on how to abide. It's to keep his commandments. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I've spoken this so that your joy can be full. I love that. Jesus doesn't want to just give us like a sprinkle of joy. He wants us to be full of joy. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So here's this system Jesus is communicating. We have the Father, and Jesus has given, or the Father has given Jesus a directive, and he has given Jesus his love. Jesus has received the Father's love and obeys his Father's commands. So he is abiding in his Father. He is connected. And just a reminder, you know, both the Father and Jesus are perfect. So they are constantly in connection. They're good. And now Jesus is inviting all of us to step into this chain of love and abiding. And so he says, I have loved you. And so we have the opportunity to return that love to Jesus. And Jesus has laid out principles in the word and in his teachings for us to live a healthy, abundant, abiding life. And when we obey those commands, when we honor him, when we submit to him unyieldingly in obedience, we abide in his love. We abide in him. And then, Jesus says, once you have abided, I almost said abided, once you have been abiding in Jesus and you are full When our hearts are full of his love and we are deeply rooted in how Jesus views us, we actually are filled. We actually have a fulfilling, loving relationship with him. 
And from that place of fullness, Jesus then says, love one another the way I have loved you. And so when we are in Jesus, we actually have something significant to offer all the relationships around us. It's from the overflow that we can love others. Why are relationships so hard? What's the disconnection? Well, there's a thought we're going to repeat all throughout today. It's a theme of today. If you want to have healthier relationships, you have to become healthier. And you become healthier by abiding in Jesus. If you want healthier relationships, which I saw a lot of hands earlier, you have to become healthier. And you become healthier by abiding in Jesus. Relationships are hard because so many of us are living disconnected from this divine invitation. Instead of looking upward for love, for approval, for identity, for affirmation, we look outward. And we compare ourselves to everyone and we get frustrated that I never seem to measure up because we're looking in the wrong place. We weren't created by outward forces. We were created by love himself. And so if we want to know who we are and our worth and our value, we have to look to the source. You can clap for that. Disconnection can sometimes look like questioning your worth. I don't know if I'm worthy enough to talk to God because of everything I've done. I don't know if I should go back to church. Lightning might strike. If anybody at church found out, they would definitely look at me different. We live disconnected because we question our value and our place and our worth because we haven't been receiving the affirmation from the right source. Disconnection can look like living by a lesser value. If I don't feel worthy to go to God about this, I got to avoid him because I don't want to get the judgment. I don't want to be rejected. That, that would be too painful. So I'm going to look for love over here. And this person, it doesn't feel like love sometimes, but sometimes it does. And so I guess that's all I'm worth is like this part-time, partially fulfilling love. But I'll take that rather than none. And I'll take that rather than maybe being cut off from love altogether. So I'll do whatever I need to do to maintain this lesser love because at least I have that. And we settle for less than what we were created for because of our fear of rejection. When nowhere in the word does Jesus extend a rejection, he always extends invitations out of love. The greater the disconnection and the longer the disconnection from the true source, the more we twist our view of what love actually is. And so we start to define love as, what can I do to have someone make me feel good? Rather than defining love as, what can I do to show someone God is good? 
What can I do to make myself feel worthy? What can I do to show God is worthy? We twist the definition of what it's meant to be. We begin looking outward and we crave for others to affirm us, to acknowledge our identity or to give us an identity, to love us unconditionally, and we're looking in the wrong direction. So today, I want us to contemplate three questions. And I'm going to ask you to take notes. And that's such a preacher thing to do. Like, if you're taking notes, you get to heaven first. But the reason we encourage you to take notes is not to make us feel better. Like, yeah, I had the most people taking notes at church. Like, we're not in like a pastor competition or anything. The reason we encourage you to do this is so that you have something to reflect over during the week and that you can continue to pour God's word into your life and actually let it change you. Because if we just come in here on a Sunday and we hear encouragements, we're like, yeah, that feels good. And then we go back and do the same things over and over again. It's, we're not allowing the word of God to transform us. So I'm going to give you three questions to write down, and I'll give you some examples to go with each question. You might have some immediate answers that come to mind, but I'm also going to ask you to look over these questions throughout the week, because sometimes when we hear a question, we have a gut response. Sometimes that gut response is what we're trained to answer, um, whether we're preserving our dignity or whether because, oh, I know this is the Christian answer, this is what I should say. But if we actually make space to allow ourselves to be thoughtful and allow ourselves to be honest with ourselves, we actually might discover more than just our initial response. So this is an opportunity for us to all grow together. So the first question I'd like for you to write down is, what will I not do for love? What will I not do? You see, it's important that we are aware of our own standards and boundaries. Because if I don't have a clear line in the sand of what I will not do, even when I'm starving for love, that means I'm going to be blown around by the wind of my emotions, and that means I'm not firmly abiding in Jesus. We have to know our standards. We have to know our healthy boundaries. What will I not do for love? So some examples might be, I would not compromise my faith for the sake of dating someone who's super hot. It's a great example. Just made that one up because I don't, you know, I know it doesn't apply to anybody in the room. Um, What are some examples of what I won't do? I won't date someone who doesn't value me, who doesn't treat me the way Jesus himself treats me. I won't abandon friendships for the promise of better or more fun or more opportunistic friendships. What are your lines in the sand? I will not take that substance, even though I know it probably means I'll get rejected by that group. You have to know, what are my lines in the sand? What will I not do for love? Number two, what do I actually do for love? This is assessing what we are currently engaging with to get love. And if we are all really honest, 
Like if you're being honest with your list, there are going to be both healthy and unhealthy behaviors on that list. Because we are all works in progress. My list, too. There are probably some healthy things that you do for love currently. And there are definitely some unhealthy things you're doing to get love in your life. So here are some examples. What do I actually do for love? Do I pray for my loved ones? Like, not just like, thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you, God, for this food. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Peace. <laughs> Everyone who laughed has prayed that prayer before. <laughs> when you love someone, you talk about them. I'm almost constantly talking about my husband and my son because I really, really love them. And so God should be very aware of who you love. God should be very aware of who you value. Do you actually pray for your loved ones by name? Do you actually pray for your church family? Do you pray for your relationships? If we're expecting our relationships to just be great and we're not even praying about them, are we expecting God to be our fairy godmother? <laughs> he doesn't work like that. Do I pray for my loved ones? Do I initiate spending time together? Do I actually prioritize that? Do I actually make room for it in my schedule? Do I actually initiate when I'm dying for my friends to initiate? Do I actually communicate? Do I compromise in some areas to avoid abandonment or disapproval? Will I apologize first when they should be the one to apologize first? <laughs> Real life. Real life. I've done it both ways. I've waited for an apology and I've just owned it and initiated the apology. Just initiate. It's, it's better. It's easier. Do I sacrifice in appropriate ways within healthy boundaries? Because Jesus modeled sacrifice continually. Does it actually cost me something to love the people in my world? If you're married, do I yield my own opinion and my own way to my spouse, at least sometimes? Because it does work both ways. Do I actually prefer my spouse, whether we're talking about the calendar or what we eat for dinner or anything else that marriage includes? Am I actually yielding to my spouse mutually? If you aren't familiar with this resource, I always love talking about the five love languages. It's a book and there's a free quiz online because you might find some people in your world speak one particular love language, and they might be shouting love to you, but you don't speak that language. <laughs> and you're over here shouting love in your language, and you're like, Dita, why don't they love me? I'm like killing myself for them. When, if we discover to be bilingual or trilingual, we actually can recognize, oh, people in my world are putting forth effort. It just wasn't something I might have registered. So, diversifying and growing and educating ourselves, giving ourselves tools, can actually help our relationships in that sense. So what will I not do for love? What do I actually do for love? And the third question, what will I do for love? 
And this question is different because it lets us have an opportunity to assess what are some healthy things I could be engaging in that maybe I haven't yet engaged in? Maybe some tools that I haven't yet equipped myself in my relationships. So would I actually talk to a covenant leader or a pastor and ask for prayer or encouragement or accountability? If I really want this area of my life to grow, if I really want this relationship to flourish, will I actually ask for help? Will I read a book, even though I'm not a big reader, to equip myself with more tools and resources? Will I actually read the Bible to see what God has to say about this? Will I actually go to counseling, even though there's a stigma around that in my family? Will I actually go to AA or take an anger management course because these things have been cycling in my life? What will I do? Because you have the opportunity to step into greater health, but you're the only one who can do that for you. What will I do for love? Possibly one of the hardest examples is Will I actually pray and ask God to refine me? Rather than blaming things at the world and systems or at another person, will I actually say, oh God, refine me? Instead of like those prayers in the Psalms, David prayed like, Lord, grind my enemy's teeth into powder. (laughs) I've prayed that one too. But David also prayed, create in me, O God, a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Touch my lips with coal that I might speak with holiness. Refine me, God. Will you actually pray that prayer? Will you actually ask God to reveal his love for you? Because if you are viewing how he loves you based on what you've heard other people say, you probably don't have the right picture. Will you actually ask him, Lord, show me what you think of me. Show me how you view me. If you want healthier relationships, you must become healthier. And you become healthier by abiding in Jesus. And I'm guessing there are probably some objections in the room because I've felt like this at many points in my journey too, like Pastor Amanda, That's such a pastor answer. Oh, just abide in Jesus and all my relationships are going to be better. Because there's the spiritual dynamic of abiding and there's the practical dynamic of being in relationship. So sometimes it can feel disconnected. What do I do? What does that actually look like? How is that going to change anything? It changes everything because you are the common denominator in all of your relationships. And so your health and your unhealth directly affect every single person you come into contact with. And so if you look more like Jesus, there's more of Jesus in your relationships. And if you are trying to hide things from Jesus and ignore things and sweep them under the rug, you are bringing more health into every single scenario you step into. How can we ask Jesus for help and ask him to refine us if we aren't even being honest with what we need help in? 
we actually have to acknowledge the dysfunction and the pain and the difficulty and the trauma and the grief that we all carry. You are the common denominator. You know, I'm going to tell you one of my personal red flags. One of my red flags when I know mm, I have not been spending enough time with Jesus. <laughs> and it happens more often than I would care for it to. One of my personal red flags is when I am a little bit too short-tempered too quickly with my husband and with my son. If something happens, it could be a normal thing, and I get angry like that. That's my sign. Ooh, I'm not standing in the right place. I have to get back to abiding with Jesus. I have to get back to looking more like Jesus. I have to get back to talking more like Jesus. I have to get back with my connection this way so that I can be a reflection of Jesus this way. You are the common denominator. We have to stop focusing on controlling the behaviors of others or convincing other people to see or do it the way we want them to do it and recognize there's only one appropriate direction for our control and our stubbornness, and that is self-control. I choose if I abide or not. I choose if I hold fast to those healthy principles or if I throw them down and engage in the fighting the way I always have. We cannot control the outcome of our relationships. I love that Pastor Franco acknowledged that last week. Relationship restoration is a two-way street. It requires mutual effort, mutual ownership for what went wrong, mutual rebuilding of trust. But we aren't guaranteed an outcome because we can't control the other person. But you're not responsible to control the outcome of the relationship. You are responsible to control your healthy input into the relationship. And that's something you can control. That requires some humility. That requires taking ownership of what you need to take ownership of rather than continuing the blame cycle. But the difference between abiding in Jesus and trying to stand independently on your own is truly life or death. I appreciate that the word of God is so multifaceted. A little known fact, maybe not, I didn't play sports in high school because I knew I couldn't take a coach yelling at me. It would like break me. I'm like, I already know I messed up. Don't point it out. So I just avoided that scenario altogether. And sometimes in our lives, we need a gentle voice of love and acceptance and encouragement. And I think Jesus has given us that in that invitation today. But other times, we need the voice of a coach who will call us out when we're sitting in comfort, when we're not doing what we need to be doing. And in the book of Jeremiah, God uses Jeremiah as a prophetic voice to call us out on something. And Jeremiah clearly lays out the consequences of disconnection and the blessings attached to abiding in him. So Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says it this way. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhibited salt land. Or another version says a salty land. And our world can be pretty salty lately. But verse 7 now brings it around. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord himself. He is like a tree planted by water that sends its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We become healthier and we remain healthy by abiding in Jesus, letting our roots go deep into the water of life. What happens when you abide? There's three quick thoughts. Firstly, when we abide, we bear his fruit. Our lives actually have something to show for themselves. Jesus constantly is talking about a fruitful life, something that has something to show, something that brings nourishment for others. John 15, 5, Jesus says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. And if I'm being honest with you, that verse is really hard for me. Because I like to say, but God, you created me with such independence. God, you created me with a great mind. God, you created me with strength and endurance. And I'm stubborn, so that must mean you created me stubborn. I like to think that I can do things in my own strength. I like to think that like my strength and my hard work brings fruit. And when I'm connected to Jesus, the fruit is better or the fruit is more bountiful. But Jesus is very clear, apart from me, you can do nothing. You could give your best effort and you won't have anything to show for it. So that's part of that humility to say, okay, I want to do it my way. I want to do it on my own. I want to do it in my strength. But I plant firmly, unyieldingly to what you say. I will be present even in this season of my life with what you have to say, Jesus. And maybe if you're like me and you have a little stubbornness, that stubbornness is to plant. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving from this spot with you, Jesus. I'm planted. So when we abide, we bear his fruit. Number two, we wear his favor. Psalm 1-3 says that those who are planted in God's ways have a guarantee, and the guarantee is this. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. Do we believe that? When I'm planted in Jesus, every single thing I do prospers. Sometimes I don't believe that. Sometimes I forget about that. I might need to get a tattoo, babe. In all that I do, I prosper when I am abiding in Jesus. That's a declaration to make over your life and your family. That's a verse to write out on your wall, on your mirror. So we bear his fruit, we wear his favor, and we share his legacy. All throughout the New Testament, we read about Jesus' life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
And after he was resurrected, he charged someone to be the first preacher, the first one who got to deliver the gospel, the good news that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Does anyone know who the first preacher is? A little pop quiz in church. You can say it out loud. What? I heard Paul. I heard Mary. Mary Magdalene. Yeah. Extra points for you, Trista. Mary Magdalene. You see, when we read about Mary's life, she was a follower of Jesus. Jesus delivered her from some demons in her life. She funded Jesus' ministry. She lived in generosity. She followed him where he went in his teachings. And we read she stayed at the cross the entire time. She witnessed his decline. She witnessed his death. And then it said she witnessed his burial. And I just picture her being really tenacious, like, oh, you're moving? I'm, I'm going. You're going. Okay. Is that where we're going? She refused to leave him. She was firmly planted in abiding in Jesus, in abiding in who he was, in the relationship he invited her into. And then on that Sunday morning when he resurrected, she went to his tomb to put spices on his body and she found the empty tomb. She started weeping. She was distraught. Where is my master? Who could have done this? And she saw who she thought was the gardener. And he said, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? And she said, they've moved my master. Have you seen where did they take him? She said, I was abided. I was planting. I was in relationship with him. What happened? And it wasn't actually the gardener. It was Jesus. And the word tells us he said, Mary. And the moment he said her name, she recognized him. She said, teacher, rabbi. She recognized him by the way he said her name because she was in relationship with him so that even the smallest whisper, she identified and knew exactly who he was. When we abide in Jesus, we get to share his legacy. And in that moment, he comforted her. He said, Mary, remember when I said I would rise? This is it. Go tell my disciples. Go tell them it's happened. Go tell them the good news. And Mary runs and tells them, and she becomes the first person to deliver the gospel. You see, abiding in Jesus might not win us any accolades. I would think Mary would be more famous for something like that. Like, that's pretty epic. That's a, that's a nice title, first deliverer of the gospel. And yet she's not really remembered as that. Because abiding in Jesus isn't for how it looks to others. It isn't about the recognition and the accolades. It is about the connection. And when we are connected, he invites us to share his legacy. He invites us to tell others, to love others as he has loved us. And he invites us to be a part of that. I can't picture anything more beautiful than that overflow of love. When we're connected to Jesus and we, like Mary, know his voice when he says your name, we have a deep revelation of how he loves us. We have a conviction of how he affirms us and defines us. Our relational needs are deeply met and nourished. And then we have an overflow. Because we are fulfilled in him, we can share with others.
We have something profound and spiritual to pour out. Rather than looking outward for that fulfillment and that connection, when we get it from the right source and the right direction, we can overflow to those around us. That's the divine invitation. And when you're connected to Jesus, you'll know. He will let you know when you need to speak to an earthly relationship, when you need to wait, when to initiate healthy boundaries, and when to make an exception, when to hold fast, and when to just apologize. He will guide you. He will counsel you. So what will you do for love? There's so much you can't control. But there's one thing you absolutely can control. You're the only one who can control it for you. And that's to abide in Jesus and become more like him and receive his love. So today I want to pray two different prayers. If you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, we're going to make room for you to make that declaration, to receive that salvation. And whether you've been in church for two weeks or two decades, if you recognize I need to reconnect. I need to re-surrender. I need to abide in him, firmly planted, unwavering in him. I want to receive that love, that connection, that affirmation. I believe Jesus is extending that invitation to us as a church today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never met Jesus and you'd like to make that decision to make him the Lord of your life, would you just raise your hand up just so I know who I'm praying with, just as a sign of Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. And church family, would you pray this all together across the room with me? Dear God, I recognize that I need you as my savior. I want to step into this connection of love. Jesus, I want to abide in you. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose again for my salvation so that now I can live Jesus first, Jesus always for the rest of my life. I will abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And church family, for everyone else, I'm going to invite everyone to join me in standing. And if that's you, you want to just pray with me for a deeper connection with Jesus, to have that connection with intimacy, to re-surrender. Would you just lift up your hands? We're going to pray all together. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be invited into your love, to abide in you, to remain in your love, to remain in your commandments. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've been stubborn and tried to do it on our own. Forgive us for our independence. Forgive us for feeling like we had to prove something or compromise to receive love when you so freely give it. I pray for a reigniting passion in every single church family member here, in the room and online. Lord, we want to crave our relationship with you. We want to crave time with you. We want to be fulfilled in you the way we've never been fulfilled in any other relationship. So take us deeper, God. Reignite passion in us, oh God. We look to you and you alone so that we can be reconnected and abide in your love so our joy may be full. We thank you for this invitation today. In Jesus' name, amen. This concludes the teaching. 
If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.